If you look at your notes, uh, continuing the complete green letters, uh, we're in chapter 43 this evening, Spirit Applied Reckoning. Uh, I read this chapter yesterday as well as um, A.W. Tozer, Life in the Spirit, and the chapter title is, The Holy Spirit is Not Known Through Intellect. And these two chapters had so much to do with each other. I could have easily come up with a small book for this evening. And then I came to work today, and my mind... Oh, it just all over the place. And so I finally started getting some stuff down. Uh, the notes look short. They really cover in principle the material in chapter 43... Uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time in the Bible this evening. So uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we come this evening with uh, thanksgiving and praise. Uh, we recognize, Lord, that you are the creator, uh, the provider, um, the sanctifier, the redeemer. Uh, all of that is uh, so important to us in every uh, day life as well as so many other things. And we just ask that as we get into your word this evening, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive the things that you have for us. Father, it is our desire to live in the Spirit, to uh, live according to your word, and we can only do that through your Spirit, and uh, that we would get past our own independence uh, to walking, uh, abiding in the vine dependent upon you uh, the way we should. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, our need for the Holy Spirit. Let me read just a, a bunch of verses here for you. Uh, John 3.27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. John the Baptist talking about his ministry. And um, explaining that any ministry that he has, it's been given to him. And if someone else is gaining uh, more of an opportunity for ministry, it's been given to him. He's not taking it from John or anything like that. In John uh, 4.24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now that one will make a little bit more sense as we get along, but it was important for uh, this evening. John 6.63, it is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. Just making sure I'm on there. Uh, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. John 14.26, but the Helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. John fifteen twenty six. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. John sixteen thirteen and 14. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own, on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. 
He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Mark 13.11 But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given to you in that hour, speak that, for it is not yet not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria unto the end of the earth. Romans 8, 10 through 14, minus verse 12. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. 13 and 14. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Romans 11.8 Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And again, that one will make sense a little bit later. Romans 15.13 Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.4 And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the uh, Spirit and of power. 1 Corinthians 2.10-14 But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God, for what man knows the things of man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can we, uh, he know them because they are spiritually discerned. 2 Corinthians three seventeen and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Ephesians 2.18 For through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Ephesians 3.16 That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. Philippians 3.3 For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Remember that John 4.24? He that comes to God must uh, worship. God is spirit, and he that worships him must worship him in spirit and truth. Well, it says right here, we're the ones who worship in the spirit. And then 1 Peter 1.2, 
elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. So within those verses, hopefully you see where uh, truly the Spirit of God is important in our day-to-day. Now, uh, there was a lot more verses. I picked out ones that I thought kind of helped us uh, with our study tonight. So let's look at our study. Number one, suffering involved in reckoning. You might remember the book uh, talked about uh, that there was a need to experience the deep crucifixion of self and it said that that was a dual truth, and it used 2 Corinthians 4.11. Uh, first of all, there had to be the counting on having died to sin, or if you will, reckoning that to be true. Now, I think one of the things that, uh, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, is this reckoning is something that happens as we grow in our uh relationship with the Lord. You can know facts and not count on them as truth when the moment of testing comes. Okay? But uh, reckoning on having died to sin, notice he says in 2 Corinthians 4.11a, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. And then counting on or reckoning on being alive unto God in Christ. The rest of the verse says, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now again, uh, we're going to see this when we get to Romans, the whole concept of the Spirit giving life to our mortal flesh. This is talking about life here and now. It's not talking about resurrected, glorified life, uh, especially when we're looking at Romans 8. A lot of people look at it that way, and it's kind of like, no, Christ came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly, and this is the concept of living that abundant life, okay? Letter B, God's intentional, purposeful dealings with us to cause our growth, So, how many times have we gone through the same trial? (laughs) And I don't know that we have to count them. I I think there's a purpose and a reason why we go through the same one very often over and over and over again. Uh, Obviously, letter A here, God uses trials to conform us to the image of Christ. In Romans 8, 28 and 29, it says, For we know that all things work together for the good for, uh, to those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Now, uh, what are the all things? Well, if you look at the previous context, first of all, we see that we are uh, suffering with the battle that goes on in Romans chapter 7. The things I want to do, those are the things I don't do. It's the struggling against the law of sin in our uh, members. And then it uh, comes up to verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy with the glory that is going to be revealed. And again, thus far we have not talked about persecution. So the suffering is 
the battle that goes on day by day. And then throw a little bit of aging into that. Throw the fact that you're married to a sinner into that. Throw the fact that your kids are sinners into that. There's a lot of suffering that goes on. Very often when we think about suffering, we always put that over there in the realm of persecution. And, and I want you to understand, persecution is not mentioned until like verse 35 in this chapter. Now why is that important? Because God works all things together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Uh, verse 29 goes on to say, For those who he foreknew... He also predetermined, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. Now again, what's the purposes of all those things? To conform us, to mold us, to change us, and make us look more like Christ. Uh, In James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, most of you know it probably by heart. And I'm in the wrong place. Where is I? There I is. Okay. Uh, Consider it great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, tests, if you will, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So again, God uses trials to conform us into the image of Christ. Now, as we go through this, I think you're going to see where spirit-applied reckoning uh, is understood. But uh, we want to get there, first of all. Letter B, God gives what is necessary to get through the trial. In uh, James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, it says, Now, if any of you lacks wisdom... He should ask God who gives to all generously and without criticizing, and it'll be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. Uh, So basically, in the midst of a trial, in the midst of a test, if you need uh, wisdom, how am I supposed to handle this situation, Lord? You ask him. Uh, That's kind of like trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. James is basically saying the same thing there. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 10.13, 10.13? Yeah, it's (laughs) 10.13. Every temptation that comes upon man is common to man. And uh, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tested beyond what you're able. Now, I I remember several years back, someone uh, said, I'm sorry, but the death of my spouse was more than I could handle. And can I tell you something? In the compassion of my heart, I totally understand that. It's more than I can handle. But see, God never intends for us to go through anything by ourselves. And that's why he says every test you go through will not go beyond what you're able to handle because he's going through it with you. Okay? Um, So it goes on. 
but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tested beyond what you're able, but with the temptation, the trial, the difficulty, provides a way of escape. And again, we think of escape as getting out from the situation. And God says, so that you may be able to bear it. So he's not getting you out. He's getting you through. And again, it really takes his grace, his strength, his wisdom uh, to get through some trials because they're beyond our capacity all by ourselves. But again, the problem is, we go back to an earlier prayer request, the problem is is we are a relatively self-sufficient, independent people, and we do lean on our own understanding. Oh, so God gives what is necessary to get through the trial. Let her see our wrong focus brings our downfall. James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God. For God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So again, wrong focus. If you compare uh, verses 13 through 15 to verses uh, 5 and 6, you'll see one is focused on, I need to get through this trial in a way that's pleasing to God. The other one is focused on what he wants. So that will bring you down. Number two, how often do we relate to Paul in Romans 7, 14 through 25? Now, uh, what do I mean by that? Well, uh, how many of us read that and go, yeah, (laughs) that's where I seem to live, okay? Uh, I, I think most of us understand what Paul is going through there. Now, uh, one of the difficulties is we can know Romans chapter 6. We've been baptized with Christ uh, into his death, into his burial, into his resurrection. We can know those, but then the reckoning part comes, right? And then after the reckoning, the don't yield. Well, Normally, as we're going through those things, as, as one person put it, when I face a temptation, I have a choice. I can either glorify God or I can go after what I want. I said, here's the problem with your thinking. Paul in Romans chapter 7 says he wants to do right. Now, who wants to do right? The new man does. Paul is associating himself with the new man. The new man doesn't want to do the bad. Very often when we look at it as a choice, part of us wants to do the very thing that we say, I know I shouldn't do. Now, the first problem there is you've associated yourself with the law of sin in your members instead of with the new man. Okay? And as long as you think like that, then you will come to the conclusion, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And as long as you think you're a sinner saved by grace, can I tell you what you're going to continue to do? You're going to continue to sin. 
because there will always be an excuse and there will always be a part of you that wants to do the wrong. So uh, when we come to Romans chapter 7, let's take a look at our outline here. Uh, not doing what we as a new creature desire to do. Uh, in Romans 7, 15b, uh, I'll just read the verse for you. For I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I, new creature, hate. I don't know about you, but when I was of the mindset of my friend who said what he said, um, the sin that I ended up committing, those were things I liked to do. I was drawn away of my own evil desires. Okay? I was not seeing myself as someone who had died to sin, been buried with Christ and raised again to walk in newness of life. I was seeing myself as someone, yeah, I've got my fire escape from hell. Now, that's not how I looked at it. I, I'm saved. But I didn't understand the new me that lived here. And so I was still hanging on to the flesh instead of recognizing the need for the spirit in life. So, um, and verse 19, the beginning of verse 19, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. So that's letter A and B if you want to get technical. Not doing what we as a new creature desire to do, doing that which we know is wrong or that which we as new creatures hate. Letter C, recognizing a part of me that is corrupt. Verses 17 and 18 say, So now I am no longer the one doing it. You know, the first time I read that chapter, I'm sitting there going, well, that's a convenient excuse. It's not me that's sinning. It's sin that lives in me. I get completely out of the responsibility for the sin. Yay! And that's not what Paul is saying here. Okay? So uh, now I am no longer the one doing it. But it is sin living in me, for I, new creature, know that nothing good lives in me that is in this body, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me as a new creature, but there's no ability for the new creature to actually do what he wants to do. Okay? Um, verse, uh, where is I? I is right there. Verse 20. Verse 20 says, Now if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it. The new creature is not the one that's doing it. But it is sin that lives in me. And then uh, verses 23 and 24. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. Now, um, couple things here. Again, he's associating himself as the new creature, right? But he sees in his body this law of sin. And the law of sin is waging a war against the uh, law of his mind, I believe he says there, 23, the law of my mind. And in so doing, in other words, sin that's dwelling in him is fighting against the new him. And the new him can't overcome the sin that dwells in him, so he's enslaved to it. He ends up doing the very thing that he, the new creature, doesn't want to do. 
This is why 1 John 3, 9 says, if anyone is born of God, he does not sin. Now, we like to put in there, this is not the practice as a way of life for him. No, no, no. The new creature does not sin. See what I'm saying? Why? Because he's born of God. God's seed lives in him. Or if you will, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This new man is Christ in you. So if we really grasp that, all I have to do is let this part of me that is created after God in true righteousness and holiness be empowered by the Spirit, and I will live like Christ. Well, then why don't we do that? Because we need the Spirit to apply the truth on a day-to-day basis. And very often, we find ourselves in Romans 7, haven't gotten into Romans 8 yet, which we'll talk about shortly. Verse 24, What a wretched man that I am! Who will rescue me from this dying body? A uh, few of you might remember several years ago, um, I, I was seeing something within Christians that I thought was, that's just not the way we should be handling this. And um, even pastors said, I, I thought you were trying to knock people down. It's kind of like, well, I guess there's a measure of truth to that, but this is what I said. If it wasn't for Christ, we are nothing but a bunch of dirty, rotten, scum-of-the-earth sinners. Now, what was I saying? I was saying that there is nothing good in any one of us. If you're saved, God has put his good in you. But that can't even overcome the law of sin that's in you. It needs to be empowered by the Spirit. If it isn't for Christ. Um, You might remember a few weeks back we sang a song called, If It Were Not For The Lord. Well, the same thing is true after our salvation. If it's not for the Lord, what would I be like? I am totally capable of any sin in the book. Murder, not a problem, okay? Just got to let the anger seethe a little bit. Let the bitterness show itself. Now, what what problem do you have with bitterness? All I have to do is dwell on all the things that happened to me as I was growing up. Or someone does something to my family. Hey, there's a good reason to get bitter and, and kill someone, right? But see, that's what I'm capable of. I'm a new creature And as I walk in the Spirit, I overcome the law of sin, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But notice, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Who will rescue me from this dying body, the one that has the law of sin in it? And of course, 25 gives us the answer. Notice letter D, recognizing that Christ is my only hope of success in this battle. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind as a new creature, I myself am a slave to the law of God. But I recognize as long as I'm in this body, with my flesh, I'm a slave to the law of sin. Because even as a new creature, I can't overcome it. So that brings us to number three. The growth process explained in Scripture. 
We're going to see uh, James chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 4 laid out here for us. So let me go back to uh, James chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Notice uh, the trial is a good gift of God. Remember back there in chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Consider it great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials. Now, most of us look, as, uh, look at trials as being, oh, no, not again. Yeah, I drive down 159, and someone's got to do 40 miles an hour. And the guy next to him in the other lane's got to do 40 miles an hour. What is wrong with those people? Do they not know the speed limit is 45? I mean, that's minimum, isn't it? That is a trial that I go through regularly. And my wife says, Al, God's trying to develop patience. And I say, I'm not a doctor. I don't need patience. She goes, you need to learn how to spell. You know, we look at trials as a difficulty, as something that, oh, we don't like. But notice verse 17, and, and you can read through the whole thing. In context, every generous act and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. With him there is no variation or shadow of turning. Notice, by his own choice, he gave us a new birth. And again, there we go, separate those pages. By the message of truth, so that we would be the first fruits of his creature, creatures. So it was his choice, and through the word of God, he saves us, and the trial is meant to sanctify us, and we're going to see in a few minutes that he's going to do that through the Word of God. Wow. Trials are meant to grow us up, and they're a good and perfect gift from God. Uh, letter one there. Letter one. Yeah, I guess that's letter one. Uh, our reaction to the trial. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Now, I didn't put Hebrews up there on the top. Sorry about that. But uh, let me turn, that, uh, turn there. Hebrews chapter 12, if you want to turn there with me, starting in about verses 5 and 6. Uh, there we go. Um, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or faint when you are reproved of him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he punishes every son he receives. So all of a sudden, our response to the trial is important. If we see the trial as God loves me, and he's making me more like Jesus Christ, the trial is not as much of an issue. If it's just the inconvenience that doesn't get me what I want right now, then it's a real problem. Uh, number two, trials, or if you will, discipline, chastisement, prove sonship. Now, I kind of struggle with this one because aren't unsaved people struggling with some of the same issues that we are? Uh-huh. But... As they struggle with those issues, are they being conformed to the image of Christ or are they just struggling with a fallen world? Living out the consequences of sin being in the world, maybe the consequences of their own sin, yeah. Uh, so whole point being is, if we're dealing with chastisement, discipline, the training, if you will. Now, very often we don't think of discipline or chastisement as training, but that's exactly what we're going to see this passage says God is doing. 
Okay? So uh, tr trials or discipline prove sonship, verses uh, 6 through 8. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Again, the world goes through the difficulties of life, but that's because they're living in a fallen world. There's no conforming them to the image of Jesus Christ, no pointing out stuff that's in their heart unless God is bringing them to an enlightenment stage where they get saved. Number three, our response, submission to God, death to self. To the trial or the discipline brings life, holiness, and the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Hebrews 12, 9 to 11. Furthermore, we had fathers discipline us, natural fathers uh, discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however... It yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained, disciplined, chastised by it. Okay? So our response is important. Letter B. A proper response and evaluation of what God is teaching, as well as a submission to God's word, is what brings about the necessary change. Now, I'll be honest with you, when we consider going through trials, what's our normal response? Try and get away from them or, what's that? We question or blame, complain, murmur. You can put a lot of different uh, words in there. But notice, a proper response and evaluation in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 22, notice what it says. My dearly beloved brothers, understand this. Everyone must be, now this is a response to the trial. Everyone must be quick to hear. I don't know about you, but when you're driving down 159 at 40 miles an hour because you got two people in front of you that don't know that that lane over there is for that speed and you should be able to go faster, um, What's your first response? What is wrong with these people? Get over, would you? Right? Now, I know some of you do not live for the drive like I do. And you may not have those kinds of responses. Well, praise God, glory to Jesus for you. <laughs> okay? But notice it says, quick to hear. What's God trying to say to you? Al. Slow down. Be patient with those people. This may be the last time they drive down this road. Who knows, you know? But it's quick to hear. God's trying to tell us something through the trials. He goes on to say, uh, slow to uh, speak. Again, we complain. Slow to anger. Why don't you get out of my way? 
For man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. What's the purpose of the trial? To conform you to the image of Jesus Christ and therefore to demonstrate the righteousness of God in that situation. Goes on. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil. That's basically saying put off. He goes on to say, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. Now, who is James talking to? Believers. So how are they going to be saved? As they grow in their walk with the Lord, as they're empowered to live differently, instead of complaining about the trial, they're learning from the trial, they're evaluating what they've had to learn, and of course, there should be the implementation of what they're learning. And then they're going to be saved from being the way they were. He goes on, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So that's why there's the need for evaluation and then the submission to God. It's not just, okay, yeah. I guess I'm not supposed to be angry with a brother without a cause and five miles under the speed limit isn't a cause. You know, it's not just saying that. It's realizing, okay, there's, there's something in my heart that God's saying that needs to be put off and there needs to be, it needs to be replaced with something because you can't just stop doing something, okay? So, uh, proper response and evaluation of what God is teaching as well as a submission to God's word is what brings about the necessary change. Let us see. Because of what God has done, making us new creatures, and how is that demonstrated? Well, it says we are to put off the conduct that relates to the old man. In Ephesians 4.22, uh, notice, die to sin and self. Let's go back to he, uh, Ephesians for just a moment. Ephesians chapter 4. Twenty-two says, You took off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. Now, this is one of the versions that uh, actually puts it in the past tense. What does yours say? That seems to be saying that you need to put off the old man. Now, when did the old man die? When you're born again. You're baptized by the Spirit of God into the body of Christ. You're associated with the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The old man has been put off. So what are you supposed to put off at this point? The conduct. Oh, you mean when you're upset with people that are doing five miles less than the speed limit because you can't get where you want to go, that's what's supposed to be put off. Why? Because that guy's not the boss anymore. Again, evaluation, submission to God's Word. Okay? That's dying to self and dying to sin. Uh, notice uh, number two here. We're to put on the conduct that relates to the new man. 
live unto God, Ephesians 4.24. Now, in the middle of those two verses, it says we're supposed to uh, be renewed in the spirit of our minds. This is basically Romans 12.2. Don't be conformed to the image of this world, uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, here's how it should be lived out. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness, in righteousness and purity and truth. Okay? Now, here's a, a little chart that we use in our biblical counseling classes. Some of you have seen this before. You have the stimuli over here. Our, uh, the way our old man has trained our body, through, and Pastor got into a lot of details one night about how you develop these pathways in your brain where the neurons and the, everything's firing, and once you establish a habit, that pathway is the way it goes. And to the point where the stimuli happens and we have a, what we call an automatic response or we should be calling old behavior, Okay. The automatic response is the thought process that you've done so many times that it's almost like you don't have to think about it anymore. You just, boom, right to the action. Okay? That's what this is demonstrating right here. Now, if we're going to change, we have to recognize the pattern. If you don't recognize the pattern, I promise you, you're going to go from stimuli to old behavior over and over and over and over and over again. What was the question earlier? How many times have we gone through the same trial? Okay? So, we try and teach people stimuli. By the way, the stimuli is the trial. Now, that trial might be your wife. It might be your husband. It might be your children. It might be your boss at work. Those are the people, but it might be the guy that's doing 40 miles an hour in a 45 mile an hour zone. The circumstances that God uses to change you. As we recognize the pattern, this is how it always goes, we can put up a stop sign. Probably a better way of saying this is we can recognize the pattern and say, okay, Lord, I know where this is going because it's gone there so many times before. I need your grace at this time. Now, we talk about a biblical thinking. How does God want me to act in this circumstance? Now we have a thoughtful response, and we have new behavior. I do not have a problem with this chart. Where I have the problem is, okay, here we have a way of changing, and we think we're going to do it. And I'm telling you, you might be able to turn over a new leaf and create some new habits, but you need the Spirit of God to make it actually a change in you. Okay? Uh, the more you put this into practice, you have the stimuli, you have a thoughtful response, you have new behavior, you have the stimuli, you have a new automatic response, and you have new behavior. This is just talking about changing habits. The average person can do this even unsaved people can do this. We talk about retail therapy. We talk about comfort food. That's all world stuff. And people start to recognize the habits and they do what's necessary to change them so that they're not eating the comfort food or not doing the retail therapy, even though Amazon makes that real easy. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, what was uh, the meme said? Uh, the UPS guy stopped at my house today because there was nothing being delivered. Wanted to know if we were okay. 
Uh, that's not my house. That's my daughter's house. Uh, <laughs> but uh, whole point being is, if we're going to change, there is a death to self, the submission to God's word, where we are now in dependence upon the Spirit, living unto God. It is not just a me doing it type thing. Letter D. Remembering Romans 7.18. So we'll go back to Romans 7 here. Uh, 7.18. Remembering Romans 7.18. Where are we? There we are. For to will, or desire, is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. Why? Because I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. That's why he can't do it, because he doesn't have the capacity to do it by himself. Notice on the back side of your page there. Number one, because Romans 7.25 ends with the recognition of a continuing battle with some failures expected. He says, praise be unto God for Jesus Christ my Lord. So then, with my mind I will uh, serve the law of Christ and with my flesh the law of sin. Now what's he saying? He's saying, I am as a new creature going to do everything I can to live for Christ. But I know that as long as I'm in this body, I can probably expect some failures. Now, it's not a matter of you're never going to fail again, because chances are you are. But he's accepting that as part of his life. Notice uh, number two, Romans 8.1 begins with the declaration of, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Okay, why does he put that there? Remember, the chapter divisions and the verse divisions, man-made. So Romans 8.1 actually belongs with, I recognize this battle that's going on in me, 7.25, and I'm going to do everything I can to live for Jesus, but I know I'm going to have my failures. Thankfully, there's no condemnation. Okay, so... Now let's move into Romans 8, uh, second, uh, third point here. Romans 8, 2 gives the how to overcome the law of sin in my members. In Romans 7, 21 and 23, talks about this law of sin in his members, and he talks about not knowing how to overcome it, even though he's a new creature. Well, Romans 8, 2 gives us the how. This is what it says. Because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, the reality is, is that is a done deal. Christ came that we might be free. He set us free. Then why do we struggle in Romans 7 for so long? Because it has to be the Spirit applying reckoning, not us intellectually accepting some facts and saying, okay, now i got to put it into practice. Okay? When we learn to walk according to the law of uh, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, we overcome the law of sin and death. So now we're in Romans chapter 8, letter E. Romans chapter 8, verses 10 through 14. He's kind of giving you uh, an overview of 8-2. Uh how to overcome the law of sin in my members. 
excuse me. Now, if Christ is in you, so what's the question? If you're a believer, okay, he says, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, in, in chapter 7, he's already told you, in essence, you don't have the capacity living in this body to live the way God wants you to live. He's repeating it in a different way. The body is dead. It's incapable of living the way God wants you to live. But what is? The spirit is life because of righteousness. Okay? Uh, verse 10, now if Christ is in you, you have the spirit. Verse 9 says that. And the spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Now, according to verse 9, that means you're a believer. Notice both 10 and 11, he starts out with, basically, if you're saved. He goes on to say, Then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. What does that mean? Well, the Spirit gives you power to overcome the law of sin in your members. Uh, let me put it a different way. Romans, uh, Galatians 5.16 Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's basically what he just said. Okay? And then verse 12, So then, brothers, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now notice, if you're putting to death the deeds of the body, are you not putting off the conduct of the old man? But notice how he says you got to do it. By the Spirit. So you're denying self and you're believing the Spirit and applying, uh, the, uh, the Spirit's applying reckoning to your account. You are, as he says it here, uh, you put to death the deeds of the body, you're going to live. Verse 14, all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. What's the leading here? The leading is the overcoming of the law of sin in your members and living righteously, which can only be done as you walk according to the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Or if you will, as you walk filled with the Spirit. As you walk in submission, in humility. There's a lot of different ways to say it. But the Spirit applies reckoning as we walk in submission to Him. Notice, uh, oh, well, the four points there. The body is dead because of sin. The spirit is life. The spirit gives life to our mortal bodies. A true abundant life comes only through the spirit. And this is the leading of the spirit. Uh, I know a lot of people talk about the leading of the spirit. The, the spirit led me to drive at 40 miles an hour without complaining. Well, yeah, he, he'll do that too, okay? But it is overcoming the flesh through the power of the Spirit. Let her see where we might get it wrong. Well, first of all, leaning on our own understanding. If we just have personal devotions, we'll do okay. 
Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of richly, with abundance, okay, uh, that's the idea there. Several years ago, there was a Bible that you could buy. You might still be able to buy it. Um, the two-minute devotional Bible for busy people. Can, can I tell you that just because you had your two-minute devotional or a 20-minute devotional doesn't mean you're going to be prepared to overcome the law of sin in your members. It's as we, in humility, in dependence upon God and His Spirit, do what He says. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, talking to Versi a few weeks back. Thankfully, she seems to be doing a little bit better these days. But... Uh, she was struggling with a lot of pain, uh, not being able to find a, a place where she felt comfortable enough to sleep. And she goes, and I just listened to the Scripture over and over and over again, just looking for God's peace and grace in this difficulty where she's not able to sleep, not able to get any rest. And you know how it is when you haven't gotten rest for a couple of days. Yeesh. You know, and then pain on top of that. Um, that's the truth of the matter. Having devotions is helpful. But this has got to be a source of life for you. Okay? Um, number two here. If we just memorize God's Word. Now, we have our reading program out here, and we have our Scripture memory program out here. And, and both of these are important. But, but let's face it. You can memorize verses and then totally ignore them when the temptation comes along. Okay? Uh, so it's not just a matter of having your devotions and memorizing Scripture. Then why do we do those things? Because the Scripture teaches that we need to, and it needs to build up the kind of foundation that the Spirit of God can draw upon it, bring it to your mind at the time when you need it, and therefore you, in submission to Him, follow His lead. Uh, you know, um, Shirlene Bagley was telling me that she was reading through the Bible for the fourth time, and it was only August. Um, it's kind of like people say, well, what good does that do you? I mean, you're reading the same thing over and over and over again. Have you ever uh, cooked spaghetti, and you rinse it out in a colander, and you pour the spaghetti back in the pan, and you let that colander dry? You can see the starch just uh, plate the inside of that colander. And the only way you get that off, I mean, you can put a little bit of soap on a, a rag or something, but you put that thing under the water and let the water run over it. And little by little, it starts cleaning that plaque, if you will, off of there. Well, that's what reading the Word of God over and over and over again does to your mind. It kind of cleans some of the junk out of there and uh, prepares you for uh, the next battle. So both are important, but don't believe that just because you did it, uh, I, I'm good. And then, of course, uh, letter C, if we just put off the old and put on the new, I've already gone through the little uh, chart here helping you see that it really does include the Spirit of God and dependence upon Him, not just turning over a new leaf and changing a habit. So that brings us to number two, the Spirit's work. Well, in John 14, 26, 16, 13, 1 Corinthians 2, 11 to 14, uh, we see that one of his jobs is he's going to teach us. Now, uh, for those that are preparing for ministry, 
Uh, we really like the fact that the Spirit of God is going to lead us into all truth and all that kind of stuff. And uh, very often, it is an intellectual exercise. Notice the little note under here. This is not just an intellectual aspect of teaching, but also the putting into practice, or if you will, the doing of the Word, James 1.22. In 1 Corinthians 2.11-14, this is where it talks about how we're being changed from glory to glory. We're becoming more like Christ as we're in the Word, and the Spirit of God is showing us the glory of Christ. And then, of course, enlightenment. Ephesians 1, 17 through 19, uh, Paul uh, talks about them having a be, uh, enlightened to a better knowledge of God, uh, to a hope, uh, a, understanding the hope of their calling, uh, the glory of their inheritance, and the resurrection of power that is available to them. Now, uh, the reason why I put it that way is because really, when we talk about walking in the Spirit, we're talking about the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, I don't know about you, but I've done my share of weightlifting. I've done my share of building. Uh, I've done all kinds of jobs throughout the years. And raising the dead, even as a pastor, uh, just has not come into my job description nor my abilities. Uh, no, it really hasn't. Um, in fact, the more I've learned to walk with Christ, the more when I'm at a funeral, I don't even have to know the person. And it brings tears to my eyes because we are seeing what sin does. It kills. And then it causes all kinds of pain for family members. Boy, if you had the power to raise someone from the dead, that'd be the time, right? Well, I just don't have it. But the Spirit of God did it. And that's the same power that we have available in us to become the people that God has made us to be. So again, it's that concept of walking in dependence upon Him, not just intellectually accepting some facts and uh, trying to put them into practice. And then, of course, empowerment. Acts 1.8, 1 Peter 3.15. Acts 1.8. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you're going to be witnesses unto me in uh, Judea, uh, Samaria, and the, well, Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. 1 Peter 3.15, um, he, he's dealt with a lot of different groups, all uh, talking about submitting themselves to, and it uh, has all of that. But in 3.15, he says, but honor the Messiah, or consecrate the Lord God in your hearts, is what the New King James is going to say. He goes on to say, always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So notice, uh, empowerment to live a Christ-like life that causes someone to ask questions about our hope. So when we talk about the Spirit's work, He teaches us, not just the intellectual aspect, but how to put it into practice. He enlightens us. He opens our minds to all that God has for us, and He empowers us not just to talk to people about Jesus, but to live the life that would cause them to believe that maybe we have something to say. So though I don't know that I adequately 
covered the chapter for you. The principles are all there. It is as we walk in dependence that the Spirit applies reckoning. We end up dying to self and living unto God because that's what we were saved for.